So I admit I may be a little melodramatic. My wife has diagnosed me with the man flu more than once. <laughs> Welcome to Kidney Essentials, a podcast for medical students, residents, and advanced practitioners at the University of Colorado and beyond. Let's start with some short introductions. Manny? Hey, everybody. I'm Manny Yura. I'm one of the University of Colorado chief medical residents and a soon-to-be nephrology fellow. Privileged to work with these two folks here. I just want to bring up that it was Manny's last podcast that got him the spot here. Otherwise, they were like, he is a no-go. And then he just shined, dropped the mic a couple times. So we're glad you're with us, Manny. Glad I pulled it off. Thank you, guys. Yeah, those chief residents, we never want them. They're kind of slackers. Yeah. Um, I'm Sophia Ambruso. I'm Sophia underscore kidney on Twitter, and I am a clinical nephrologist and on faculty at the University of Colorado. I'm also at the Denver VA, kind of got those in reverse order, but I have no conflicts of interest. And I am Sarah Young. I am a nephrologist at the University of Colorado at the CU Anschutz campus, and I have no conflicts of interest and I a tweet at Kidney Critic. So we don't really actually have a case today. We're going to sort of have instead a little debate between Manny and Sophie. But before we get into that, let's just remind everyone that Kidney Essentials is available on Apple Podcasts, and we would love a five-star review from our listeners. Sarah, do we have any reviews? Yeah, we have a review, a five-star review that's pretty funny, actually. Is it? You, sh- you should read it, yeah. Okay. <laughs> it says something to the effect of, they actually make nephrology sexy, which is pretty hard. Super sexy. <laughs> so if you want to start with our mission statement. Okay, so our mission statement is to make nephrology more accessible and less intimidating. We want to provide concise nephrology pearls in each episode and help listeners understand renal pathophysiology. And here I go again. We're here to make nephrology sexy, one episode at a time. And Manny, for our legal disclaimer. Make it sexy, Manny. (laughs) I'll try my best. So this podcast is for educational purposes only. The views and statements expressed on this podcast are solely those of the hosts. Not that sexy, Manny. I I gave it a little deeper voice. Um, Not sure if you guys noticed, but I'll try try again later. (laughs) I think it's it's hard to make lawyerly stuff that enticing. Don't tell my husband who's a lawyer that. But Okay, so last episode we talked about patient populations that are vulnerable to even low doses of non-steroidal anti-inflammatories because the kidney really relies on prostaglandins to maintain renal blood flow and GFR. And those patient populations include patients with nephrotic syndrome, heart failure, cirrhosis, and elderly patients with chronic kidney disease. And if you give them NSAIDs, they can get acute kidney injury very easily. In addition, patients on diuretics, ACE inhibitors, and calcineurins. Oh man, you guys, I learned a lot last episode. My favorite part was still listening to you both disagree on how to pronounce cyclosporin. I'm still not sure how you actually say it, and I'm not going to be picking sides, but I very much enjoyed that. Okay, I am definitely right. It is not (laughs) cyclosporine or whatever. That's not what it is. <laughs> Although every time I say it, I stop and I go, sporin, sporin. It's not <laughs> Even if the E may the, should say, make the I say it's 
name, so it would be cyclosporine, even if, <laughs> and that's definitely not right. You know, I, 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 when I look at it, I'm like, it's cyclosporine, but I feel like I should be saying cyclosporine. I don't know. Can I just say CSA? Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Okay. And in our last episode, Manny admitted he never takes NSAIDs out of fear of developing renal disease. And Sophie confessed she is a regular NSAID user. So that begs the question, what is the risk to a relatively healthy patient population? Is Sophie being overly flippant about the risk or is Manny being a little melodramatic? All right. So I admit I may be a little melodramatic. My <laughs> wife has diagnosed me with the man flu more than once. <laughs> I've memorized so many adverse associations with NSAIDs from GI bleeds to worsening edema to worsening hypertension to AKIs to maybe development of CKD. I just don't want to risk it. And that's, that's my stance. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I've taken enough NSAIDs and felt reasonably well most of the time and I've had labs here or there, and I still have phenomenal kidney functional function. Like, I mean, phenomenal. <laughs> Better than most. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we'll find out today. All right. Sophie, you're up, buddy. Oh, it's my turn. So I will. So, okay. I have to say this, despite my support of NSAIDs, at least for myself and my healthy body, my phenomenal kidney function, is that NSAIDs are widely used in the United States. I think it's like greater than 70 million prescriptions are written annually. By the way, who writes prescriptions for NSAIDs most of the time? I don't. Not anymore, at least. Anyhow, what do you have to say about that, Manny? Yeah, I mean, that. to your point, that doesn't even account for the number of patients taking over-the-counter NSAIDs. So a study in which patients self-reported their ibuprofen use revealed 90% of patients take it regularly, and then 37% take more than one NSAID, and 11% go above the recommended daily limit, which I found to be wild. So you're saying more than one NSAID, meaning more than one type of NSAID. So they're like Correct. on naproxen and ibuprofen. Right. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So the question is, is ibuprofen safe in a young and relatively healthy population? And I'm going to have you guys take two sides of this debate. So Sophie, you're going to argue yes. And Manny, you're going to argue no. For our first ever kidney essentials debate, this is for educational purposes only. There's no money on the line at all. No, it's high stakes. Super high stakes. <laughs> I, I just want to point out the power dynamic, too. I'm, I'm very much intimidated, but I will be trying my best here. Jared, right. I'm still an assistant professor, Manny. It won't take long for you to surpass me. No worries. Three days into your fellowship, you will no longer be intimidated by us. <laughs> All right. So uh, I get to start. And I've already put out there that I think probably for most healthy populations, NSAIDs are safe. So one of the earlier studies that was done, it was in 2003, published in a um, AJKD, and it was analgesic use and change in kidney function in apparently healthy men. I like that they put apparently healthy men in there. Yeah, and this is often referred to as a physician health study. Right. And this was a prospective cohort study of approximately 5,000 U.S. male, I highlight male physicians. Where are the female physicians, I ask you? They... <laughs> right here, Sophie, you and me. 
Anyways, I, I digress. They had their blood drawn at time points of 1982 and 1996, and they looked at for a creatinine increase of greater than 0.3 or a decline of GFR of 29, 29 mils per min or more. This is by the MDRD method, and that was uh, within that 14-year time period. And basically, they divided patients into never use or patients who were on aspirin, Tylenol, or NSAIDs. And so the never use was less than 12 pills, and that was compared to those who took that combination of medicines, again, aspirin, Tylenol, and and NSAIDs. And the first group was 12 pills to 1,499 pills, and the next group was 1,500 to 2,499 pills, and the final group was greater than 2,500 pills. So we're just looking at doses. So what they found is that 242 had a rise in creatinine greater than 0.3 and 224 had a decrease in the GFR of greater than 29%. And this is out of 5,000 approximately patients. They did find that the men with higher creatinine levels and a lower GFR were older, had hypertension, had more cardiovascular disease, and they were more likely to be smokers. But overall, the use of, of combined aspirin, acetaminophen, and other NSAIDs was not significantly associated with a decline in kidney function. However, what was a risk factor for abnormally elevated creatinine was one or more cardiovascular risk factors. Yeah, thank you so much for reviewing that. But I think you'd agree with me that there are several limitations to the study. I mean, the most glaring was that this was all men and almost entirely white. So I'm not sure that this is representative of the nation at large. Yeah, Manny, you make a good point. So if you're a white man, your risks are low and you might be reassured by the study. But I'm always bothered by the retrospective assessment of any, you know, analgesic use. I mean, who remembers how much ibuprofen they took over a 14-year period of time? Yeah, I don't. I think it's probably higher than Manny. <laughs> I, I can't argue with your comment, Sarah. I mean, it, most studies relying on recollection are definitely less reliable. So you know, you have to take it all with a grain of salt. It's the information we have, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The other thing is they looked at several analgesics, including Tylenol, aspirin, and NSAID. So I just think this is a little bit tough to interpret here. Definitely. Very good point. So I would add that there is a similar study that was done in nurses, and that was uh, looking at the lifetime non-narcotic analgesic use and looking at the decline in renal function in women. It was published in Archives of Internal Medicine in 2004. This is the nurse's health study. There we go. So we've done our <laughs> physician's health study. Now we're doing our nurse's health study. The only way we can get healthy subjects and study them. So anyways, um, they identified high analgesic users, meaning greater than five, 15 days per month, and low users in their population who had... Yeah, so high analgesic users were greater than 15 days a month of analgesic use versus low users. Correct. So in this study, they identified high analgesic users, meaning they were they took greater than they took analgesics greater than 15 days a month, and then low users, which was less than 15 days per month in their population. And they also had their blood drawn and ended up with 
1,697 patients and their analysis, and they compared the creatinine and GFR using the MDRD again from 18, excuse me, not 18, (laughs) (laughs) from 1989 and 2000. So in this case, they found no substantial differences in creatinine level or GFR among the categories of lifetime intake or NSAIDs or aspirin. However, they did find women who consumed greater than 100 grams of acetaminophen had a higher risk of losing kidney function. Yeah, I mean, overall, it suggests appears to be pretty safe, whether it's Tylenol or non-steroidal anti-inflammatories. But again, it has the same problems the prior study had, which is self-reporting again. Well, you guys are in luck. We do have a study looking at NSAID prescription use, specifically in U.S. Army soldiers. And this is a good population to look at because they're young, healthy, and they engage in regular vigorous exercise, which may actually put them at higher risk for renal disease when compared to the general, relatively sedentary U.S. population. So Manny is now referring to a JAMA Network Open study by Belson et al. In 2019, looking at NSAID use and kidney disease in U.S. Army soldiers. So, so to dig into the study a little bit, this was a retrospective cohort study. They looked backwards and examined exposure to NSAID use. They identified exposure to NSAIDs based on prescription of NSAIDs by providers. Yeah, so there's no self-reporting here. They're looking simply at the prescription. So, I mean, it's possibly theoretical that people could have filled the prescription and not taken the pill. And it's also theoretical that they could have been, in addition, taking over-the-counter NSAIDs in addition to what was being prescribed. Right. So these were prescribed NSAID doses, and the, and the study evaluated whether patients eventually went on to receive an ICD code of AKI or CKD. So in the study, they looked at 764,228 active-duty Army soldiers serving between January 2011 and December 2014. And then they divided them into three groups based on defined daily doses of prescribed NSAIDs per month. So two-thirds of patients actually took no NSAIDs. Of the one-third that did receive NSAIDs, they were divided into two groups, one to seven defined daily doses and greater than seven defined daily doses. Most of the NSAID prescriptions were ibuprofen and naproxen, and the ibuprofen prescription was mostly 800 milligrams and allowed for three or more daily doses ranging up to 2,400 to 3,200 milligrams per day, which is a lot of ibuprofen. They found a higher risk of AKI and CKD if you took greater than seven defined daily doses, which conferred about an increased risk of 20%. This is significantly higher if they had hypertension or African-American or older. If the patients were greater than 50 years old, they had seven times the risk, actually. Yeah, so... Overall, the individual risk is still pretty low, but it appears to be there. And it doesn't make you feel better if you're one of those people who actually got the CKD from the NSAID use. Exactly. So the risk may be small, but it is one you can control. You might not be able to control whether you develop hypertension or other diseases, but you can control your NSAID consumption. All right. Well, I just got to pipe up here because... I conceded earlier, so I feel like I get to have a little word here on this. This study isn't without its own number of confounders. Number one, it has dramatically different covariates between those that take NSAIDs and those that do not take NSAIDs. 
meaning that maybe there is an underlying issue that's predisposing someone to requiring an NSAID versus those that aren't. So maybe there's something else contributing to the actual need for the NSAID or the perceived need for the NSAID. And then what does seven defined daily doses truly mean? A single dose in this is 200 milligrams. So seven daily doses could be seven doses of 200 milligrams of ibuprofen per month, or it could be as high as 800 milligrams um, three times daily per month. So it's a really wide range of doses of NSAIDs. And then the last thing is we don't know if the patients who were prescribed these actually took them. We're making a really big assumption there. Yeah. I think answering the question of how much ibuprofen is too much ibuprofen largely depends on who the patient is and emphasizes the importance of, you know, patient-centered care. And the fundamental characteristics of patient-centered care is first involving your patient in making the decision and individualizing your care to that specific patient. So for Manny, he's willing to endure some pain or maybe even a lot of pain given that I now found out he played football in high school and didn't ever take NSAIDs. But you know, he's willing to endure some pain to avoid a potential small risk of renal disease. In contrast, Sophie, her quality of life is more important. So she's willing to, you know, take some daily non-steroidal so that she can do her Peloton bike in the morning. And then, so in the end, both of you are right. All right. Yeah, how about that for being equitable? Feels pretty good. Good. Anything else you get? Oh, go ahead. I will try a small end said the next time I'm having some acute pain, but if I have a bump in my creatinine, I will come find you guys to talk about it. So you're going to check your labs prior. You're then going to take your ibuprofen. You're going to check your labs afterwards, and then you're going to hunt us down. I think that's the only way to really figure this thing out. That's very funny. Fair enough. But we're going to have to standardize what your volume status is and all sorts of other things in that time frame. All right. Well, our learning objectives for this podcast were the risk of acute kidney injury with NSAIDs is real. We see it on a daily basis in the hospital and clinic. And particular patients are at risk, which we have outlined in our prior. The risk of CKD to the general healthy population, however, appears to be quite low. It's not doesn't appear to be zero, given the few studies that we have, but it's pretty low. But the risk is greatest in what appears to be the patients who consume very large amounts of nonsteroidals. So how much ibuprofen is too much ibuprofen really depends on a patient's tolerance for risk, the severity of the pain, and how it's affecting their quality of life and what alternative options for pain are or are not available to, to the patient. And obviously we don't have a lot of good pain control options that don't have significant side effects. All right, well, our next podcast is gonna be our annual articles that changed our practice in the past year, sometime hopefully in early February. So we hope you all will tune in. Thanks everybody. So if you wanna take us out with our credits, Thank you to me for editing, <laughs> Josh Strong for graphics, and to the University of Colorado Division of, of Nephrology for giving us a job. I will say to the Denver VA for giving me a job, and to the University of Colorado School of Medicine for training Manny so he will become a nephrology fellow with us. <laughs>